Welcome in to Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner on a lovely Thursday, the first Two for One Drafts podcast of 2020. I am pumped. Loving that hoodie today. Looking good. How was Thank your you. How was your New Year's? It was good with the parts I remember. Yeah, yeah. I, it was it was very good. I I rang in 2020 right. This year's my PFF's year. Mike Renner going full dark side of the moon on New Year's Eve was minus fifteen hundred, and I still like any took other. it. Yeah, it's uh, definitely had to happen. Well, let's get into the podcast here. We got two really nice segments on today. I wanted to do them Tuesday, but we saved them for Thursday. Saved them for twenty twenty. We're going to talk about PFF's all rookie team that dropped today. We also dropped today PFF's fifty best rookies in twenty nineteen. Go to pff.com right now if you want rookie content. Rookie There's content. a ton of it there, and then also we're going to talk about the top rookie draft classes in our that you're working on, and then um, that should be on pff.com as well. We got some hate from Raiders fans for them not being on that list. They probably just missed the cut there, but well, there are some really good rookie classes. It's because here. it's in terms of what you had in terms of draft pick capital. Mm hmm. And then the return you got on it. So only having one pick and having him be the 50th overall pick, and he hits, you hit the, on that pick. Mm-hmm. It's better than having five picks and then hitting on two of them. That yep. sort of thing. Like it, that's that's that was the conceit of the article. So don't don't hate me. I get that they had a lot of talent in that draft class, but they had four picks. They started off with four picks in the top 35, and ended up being four picks then in the top 40 after a trade. And only really one of them was good this year. So we'll get to yeah, that yeah, later yeah. on. Let's get to that later on. I will say this. If you are watching live on YouTube, the ticker below does have PFF's latest mock draft. Make sure to tune into that as well. Let's get into the salt rookie team, starting with the quarterback position. I think this one was difficult because the highest-graded quarterback as a rookie was Gardner Minshew, even though he had some ups and downs here. There was reason to maybe push Daniel Jones into the conversation. Kyler Murray had a very good year until late in the season, earned a couple below 30.0 mm-hmm. PFF passing grades. Yeah. There's, I mean, Dwayne Haskins even had some better games down the stretch, but we went with Gardner Minshew, the Washington State alum, the the myth, the man, the mustache, whatever you want to call him, but he had 18 big-time throws, 19 turnover-worthy plays, a lot in that game against Houston where he got be- or benched the following week, mm-hmm. but I think Gardner Minshew is still very impressive for where he was drafted, and I think the Jacksonville Jaguars have something in him that they could get behind. <sighs> See, I'm going to disagree with really? you on that. Really? In terms of this whole rookie class, not a single one did enough for me to be like, put a pin in it, this guy's going to be a franchise-type quarterback. I just they think all of them have serious reservations after what we saw this year to where I'm not, from the Jaguars, I'm not just you know skewing the quarterback position entirely in this upcoming draft. I'm not mm-hmm. just going to be like, Gardner Minshew's our guy. We're going to ride with them. No, you keep addressing the quarterback position. I think if you are uh, some of these teams in the mix, maybe not first round, mm-hmm. but at some point in the draft, you know, add another guy like Minshew, you know, necessarily down the line there. I just don't think it was a good year for rookie quarterbacks. All of them had their issues. Like you said, Kyler Murray towards the end of the season just had games where he couldn't complete a pass. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Just completely fell apart. We talked about Daniel that Jones fumbled twice on one play. That was awful. <laughs> Daniel Jones fumble issues were a serious problem. I think he ended up with 17, was it, on the year, mm-hmm. maybe 18, on the season, just consistently game after game after game. You can't be doing that in the NFL, just coughing it up that much. And, so. and with Dwayne Haskins, too, if I can jump in there, mm-hmm. I think the big reason, what we thought was going to happen with Dwayne Haskins, that he look uncomfortable and experienced. That one-year starter at Ohio State would show. And I think starting this year for Washington, he didn't get the best treatment because kind of thrown to the dogs. But that's what you really saw with him. Until later in the year did you start to see him start to get it. But out of the gate, man, this guy thought the NFL was way too fast for him. A lot of those things happened. That uncomfortability is what you know what I really saw in Dwayne. Yeah, he was just not comfortable in the pocket. He got sacked 29 times on 200. 45 dropbacks. He had the highest <laughs> and the high, the highest pressure to sack conversion rate of anyone. A key number NFL. when you're looking at quarterback evaluation. In yes, my opinion. Uh, I think looking at how often 
a quarterback converts pressure to sacks is important because that shows you're not getting the ball away, not able to evade pressure, all that. You can be on the high end of that if you're someone like Kyler Murray, you're someone like Lamar Jackson where you're scrambling. Mm-hmm. You know, when you do face pressure, you scramble, and then, yes, you're going to take sacks off of that. Or even Russell Wilson's on the high end of that. Guys like that, you can be on the high end if you're that. It's not Dwayne Haskins. He's not mm-hmm. a scrambler no. by any stretch of the imagination, despite what Stephen A. Smith says. So <laughs> I, I do think that that's the most worrisome thing for me with Haskins was that you just didn't see him sort of overcome a bad offensive line. Mm-hmm. The offensive line really got to him. Now, he's a rookie. All these guys are rookies. Like I said, there's still like they still all showed enough that I'd keep them as you know starters going into 2020. But no one showed enough for me that I'm not uh, you know going to keep them you know franchise guy uh, at this point. I want to go back to what I said about Gardner Minshew. I agree in that they shouldn't put a pin in it and, and avoid quarterback altogether mm-hmm. and and already start to put together some money for this extension. But I will say this: Gardner Minshew showed enough to at least give him a shot. I yeah. I, I think he should oh, be no. competing for a starting role in Jacksonville next year. It depends on who they add in free agency if they add in free agency. They still have the Nick Foles. Yeah, contract. that's the. He showed enough to where, like, if you want to cut Nick Foles, I could be on board. But if they Nick cut Foles Nick Foles, I, I wonder what that contract is set up. I don't even think they can really cut Nick Foles for it to make any sense. I mean, you, you might as well pay him yeah. as the backup, unless there's a team willing to jump at Nick Foles and trade for him, which I don't think there is. I think he's going to stay there, and those two compete a little bit because you're not going to be able to add significant talent at that position free agency with how hamstrung you are by the cap situation in the draft. Though I think it does make sense. It's mm-hmm. Round two, round three, add some competition at that position. Uh, I think makes sense. Let's go to the next on the line here. Let's go to running back. Oakland Raiders, baby. Josh Jacobs of Alabama, our number one running back in the class, finishes as the number one running back in 2019. And he looks like every bit the part. You know, forced missed tackles at a very high rate, highest elusive rating of any running back in football, yards after contact uh, at significant degree. I think Josh Jacobs really showed that he can be a difference maker in the NFL. However, I think if there's one caveat, the injuries did show up. And I think the injury history, I mean, it's hard to be a, um, a good running back and offer value if you get injured all the time. Well, I mean, name your running back doesn't have an injury history, though. It's just it's something that it's so difficult to predict at that position. I mean, Frank Gore had the most injury red flags of any running back ever coming out of Miami. This had been the most durable back, you know, one of the most durable backs in NFL history. So it's just difficult to predict sometimes. Uh, the only thing I, only caveat I have here about the Raiders, I think it was as advertised, Josh Jacobs. Uh, you know, he was pretty much universally the number one running back in the class. They drafted him in the first running back in the class. He's been the top running back in the class. I would just like to see them use him more in the passing game. We keep saying that. That's why I thought he was, you know, far and away the number one running back in the last class was because he had a little different receiving ability than the uh, other top guys. It was David Montgomery, you know, Daryl Henderson in that class. I thought he was just by far the best receiver of the bunch. Only targeted 26 times all year. I think we could bump that number up. And, you know, on his 20 catches, he broke nine tackles. So that elusiveness still translated when they did get him out in the open field. If Josh Jacobs continues to trend the direction that we think he's going to, do you think, yes, he was drafted in the first round, do you think the Oakland Raiders are going to get enough value out of him to justify that pick? I think they could. I mean, I realistically think you could in terms of if, like, you are featuring him more in the passing game, vertically mm-hmm. down the football. That's field. the ticket, though. And I think he does offer that. They just really didn't necessarily take advantage of that in that offense. But, I mean, if you're going to take a running back, he was 1,000% the one to pick. All right, let's go to wide receiver. Two of them Two of them to start with. Both of these guys have been fantastic. They were in neck-and-neck neck race for Offensive Rookie of the Year down the stretch for us. It was ended up being A.J. Brown as our PFF Offensive Rookie of the Year, but right behind him is Terry McLaurin of the Washington Redskins. Both of these guys, even if you look at historically, dating back to the uh, 2006, mm-hmm. the start of the PFF era, these are t- the two, two of the best rookie seasons we've seen from wide receivers in, in, in the era, and it's pretty incredible what A.J. Brown has done 
on, specifically at outside receiver. I think some had reservations on whether or not he could play that, knowing he played a ton of slot at Ole Miss. Not us. Not and us. Terry McLaurin, a guy who was drafted in the third round, who had all these traits, very fast dude, crisp route runner. He didn't really get to see what he could do until he left that Ohio State offense and was actually targeted on a vertical route tree. Yes. I think both these guys look like number one wide receivers. We've said it for a while now. These are legitimate, like, go-to, 1,200-plus yard type of guys uh, for the foreseeable future. And uh, after week one, I said that with A.J. Brown, just from what I saw on tape, his ability to get open going up against Denzel Ward uh, and the Cleveland Browns in that game, he just he can separate down the football field. He has a pretty much a full, you know, full wide receiver one skill set. He can run the full route tree, do anything you ask of him. And his stats this year were just absurd. 16 broken tackles and only 52 catches is a crazy number considering wasn't really getting pumped screens mm-hmm. in that offense. A lot of those car, those after the, you know, broken tackles were coming after the catch and only 84 targets. He went over a thousand yards, fewest targets we've ever seen for a thousand yard wide receiver. That is insane. Big play. He's got the big playability, forces missed tackles after the catch. I mean, creates separation on his routes, vertical route tree. I mean, both of those guys have been really, really good. And let's go to the third wide receiver to make the all-rookie team, Debo Samuel of the San Francisco 49ers. Talk about a fun player to watch. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, he put Shaquille Griffin in a blender on primetime. That was very impressive. Like, Debo Samuel, what impressed me is he was a very good route runner at South Carolina, created separation on, yeah. on these short and intermediate routes very well. However, what I, I did not expect him to have this success 10-plus yards down the football field that he is because he is really doing a great job of being a true wide receiver, not this gimmicky player that maybe yeah. some kind of, you know, pinned him as. Well, it's tough because it's South Carolina's quarterback situation is almost similar to you know, Jalen Rager, who we mm-hmm. keep saying this year. It's just like he wasn't getting accurately mm-hmm. thrown footballs down the football field. Yeah. So that's why it sometimes was like, oh, is he going to be able to produce on the football field? We just haven't really seen it. Well, a lot of that was a quarterback situation that he had there at South Carolina, but I don't want to overreact too much from a rookie class or, you know, get to, mm-hmm. but I think you can always learn from some sort of valuation in terms of what succeeded and what translated quickly to the NFL. When you mm-hmm. look at A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel, it's hard not to think that guys who are that special at breaking tackles after the catch, guys mm-hmm. who really showed it consistently throughout their entire college career, it seems like that's something that probably translates well to the NFL. Mm-hmm. And that, that sort of making guys miss in the open field is also what Help, what uh, helps you make guys miss at the line of scrimmage. That mm-hmm. skill set yes. can also help you get off press coverage. So I think just sort of from a high-level scouting perspective, seeing guys breaking tackles at the college level is, is almost going to be more important in my eyes going forward. Seeing those guys like Levis Gishnall who can make you, shake you in the open field, you can then teach a guy with that skill set, with that physical attribute to have that translate to the line of scrimmage. Well. And, and what that is is just quick twitch athleticism. Yeah. It's short yeah. area quickness. That mm-hmm. translates to the next level because it doesn't go away. I'll tell yeah. you right now, exactly. it does not go away when you go to the NFL. And if you have that rare trait, we, you have to admit it's a rare trait. As a, you know, as a receiver, you're going to be able to learn to you know, get better off your releases. You're going to be able to force missed tackles after the catch. I think and that's a, that's a great point. led all wideouts this year in broken tackles with 18. There you Go. Uh, bring, bring, back, Johnson. Bring, bring back that Jalen, dude, Deontay Johnson. Talk about, and I've said this before, that quick twitch much, those quick yeah. twitch muscles he does have were great at the release, and he was creating separation at an absurd level at Toledo. Yeah. You never saw the broken tackles, though, because no one was around was, him. Yeah. This year, those translate into great, you know, great plays after the catch. I want to go back to that Jalen Rager comment. I just tweeted this out, but you speak to not getting accurate targets down the football field. Only 30.6% of Jalen Rager's targets this year were accurate. Charted as accurate according to PFF. The fourth lowest mark in the country. That is mm-hmm. absurd. That's you know, that's such a huge number, too, when you're looking at box score production, which I think yeah. dominator rating and those things kind of all play into. You have to think about, was the quarterback throwing him accurate balls? Because that, that's a big yeah. part of it, too. So 
Let's go to the tight end position on the all-rookie team. Oakland Raiders again. Foster Moreau, and I think it was the best of the not-so-great. There weren't a ton of tight ends that played well. I think the bigger yeah, the Hawkinson, story... Yeah, the bigger story is how yeah. poorly Hawkinson did, and then just no offense, no offense inconsistency. Mm-hmm. And that, now, in terms of just raw production, yes, he produced more than anyone else in terms mm-hmm. of receiving yards, but I think to get to those receiving yards... One, uh, a lot of it was just yards after the catch. He had a very high number of yards after the catch because of the way he was utilized in terms of a lot of crossing routes, a lot of uh, you got the screens thrown his way as well mm-hmm. in that offense. Ton of routes behind but, the line of scrimmage too. But yeah, the those downfield routes. stuff was really not there yet. Only a couple plays that he made down the football field, the ball skills or lack thereof, came out in a handful of occasions. So that's why he doesn't make this list. Uh, but yeah, that to me is the bigger story here. The fact that Foster Moreau was making it over. Not, not necessarily that Foster Moreau had a monster year, but the top guys in the top of the class really didn't hit the ground running. Let's go to the offensive line here. Jawan Taylor and Titus Howard both make our two tackle spots. Juwan, and both of these guys, I think this is important to know. We bring this up a ton on the podcast. Set the bar low for rookie offensive yes. linemen. Because Jawan Taylor was, I think, earned an under 70.0 overall grade. However, doing that as a rookie you know, speaks speaks volumes to what he can be in the future as he gains experience, muscle, all of that. Yeah, I had people, we mocked you know, the Browns, the wide receiver in the last mock draft. And everyone's like, no, they have to go off and tackle. It's like... You don't, you really, one, if you're expecting that rookie offensive tackle, they're drafting 10th overall, to step in and be an upgrade for you, you're probably going to be sorely disappointed. Like, yeah. you're just going to be, if you expect a rookie offensive tackle to fix. Mike McGlinchey was a rarity. Because, I mean, in his rookie he was, year, he was and fantastic. He still had some issues. Like, he mm-hmm. still got torched a good deal. Like, it just does not happen. Like it's only happened a handful of times since we started grading. Uh, you know, a couple. You're better couple off filling need in free agency. So, yes, you're better if you off filling need those needs in line help. It, you better do it in free agency. I would agree to that same degree. I would say the same thing about pass rushers and defensive linemen. Like if you want to add pass rush help next year, mm-hmm. you're probably going to need to go into free agency and gr- try and grab that. If you want to build for the future. Draft the best player available. Don't even look at the position. That's yep. kind of that's kind of where we have to stand. Let's go to offense guard here. Elkton Jenkins and Dalton Reisner, both of those guys. Oh, but really I do well. want to just touch on Howard real quick. Yeah, great at right tackle. Like they screwed, they kind of screwed him early on by flipping him Didn't all he play over the guard offensive once line. and just yeah. got buried. Guard, throw him at left tackle, and oh, for some reason the position he played all you know all four years at Alabama State is the one he plays the best in the NFL. Funny how that works. So yeah, they kicked him to right tackle. Looked a lot better before he went on IR towards the end of the year. Let's go to guard here. Elkton Jenkins and Dalton Reisner. Reisner started off really well, and then I, even he started to hit some inconsistency in the middle of the late season. But Elton Jenkins has been good all year. I would say Reisner still, though, for being a rookie offensive lineman, 69.8 pass blocking grade. It's good. Yes. Like that's very, very like that's that makes an all rookie team for us. That doesn't sound good. I get that. It sounds like you know sixty nine point eight sounds like a D plus, but that's still good for a rookie mm-hmm. offensive lineman. That's just the bar you set for these guys. But Elkton Jenkins was probably next level. He was probably for my money the best rookie offensive lineman this year. He was and, your D interior offensive line I, one. And that's yeah. just not because we had him as the top offensive line guy. He was just very good in pass protection this mm-hmm. year. Uh, good in the run game as well. Fairly consistent. Didn't give up a sack all season long in that offense. And we know how long Aaron Rodgers likes to hold the football so that Mm -hmm. was very impressive from him uh, and went from center last year actually at Mississippi State to guard but he he moved all over at Mississippi State so he had already been a guy who cross-trained a little bit so very encouraging start for him. Kind of want to use this as an opportunity to touch on some high-level points for interior offensive line scouting. You speak to those quick to, quick twitch muscles, kind of translating the next level for you. Interior offensive line play. What do you see in interior offensive line that you think is going to translate to the next? Level? I think balance is probably one of the most important things for interior offensive linemen that I look at. Is like 
the, the less you see a guy falling on his face, flat on the ground, slipping off blocks and, you know, losing his footing. Like you on New Year's the Eve. better. Kind of yes. Yeah. If you're just walking around sloppy there when you get uh, contact with the defensive <laughs> lineman, it's not going to end well. Mm-hmm. Like the, the worst, if you're on your ground in college, you're going to be flat on your face all the time in the NFL with, you know, just because uh, defensive linemen are given far more freedom in the NFL to attack and penetrate and, atta- and uh, you know, change gaps and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So. I think balance is probably, you know, 1A in terms of the most important trait for an interior offensive lineman. There you go. Let's go to center. Eric McCoy, I think he surprised some people. Yeah. He's a guy that I had an opportunity to interview before the draft. and t- He's a very cerebral prospect as well as mm-hmm. what I've heard. I've heard similar reports now coming out of the, coming out of New Orleans that the guy's just super smart and, and really handles the pass protection as well and stuff, and he held up really well this year. Yeah, he's been a massive upgrade for them, even over Max Unger, mm-hmm. who was play had slipped for a few years uh, now for the Saints and ended up retiring McCoy. I mean, for the 48th overall pick, we'll talk about the Saints in the top five draft classes later on. That's as good as you can do. Yeah. At that point in the draft, you don't get a lot He's of He's one of the best centers in football, not exactly. even the best He's a top, probably a top 5 to 10 center in football at the moment, mm-hmm. and he is a rookie. So that's pretty dang impressive. Only 14 pressures allowed all season long. It's less, it's less than one a game. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball here. At two, both edge defenders, Nick Bosa, obvious one. We've been, you know, praising him all year long for good reason. I mean, he's he's playing at a veteran level right now. He's making that level of impact for that San Francisco 49ers defense. He has one of the best pass rush win rates we've seen from a rookie in the PFF era, and also better pass rush grade, and this guy is a legit pass rusher like his brother, and if he is healthy, I think he's going to continue to be one of those guys. I want to go to the second one here, Josh Allen of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He makes it as number two. Why is he above Max Crosby? Why are <laughs> Oakland, Raiders so, uh, this, Oakland Raiders fans so upset? This one wasn't too hard going into the draft. They were the Far and away, the two most productive edge defenders in college football mm-hmm. in terms of win rate. I pass still believe grade. Josh Allen has the they best had PFF passers grade at the college level. Before Chase Young this before year. Chase yeah, Young he, this year. he had a 94.4 last year. He was absolutely dominant in the SEC, had all the athletic traits. You could kind of even throw out the tape before in the years prior to that because of you know how much muscle he added between his mm-hmm. junior and senior years at Kentucky, gaining 20 pounds, and then was a completely different player. And he shows up in the NFL in 49 pressures this year. Like He had a very good rookie season. Uh, yeah, so not, like I said, this one didn't really have to be overthought too much. These guys were clearly the two best edge defenders in this draft for my money and came in the field and showed him. And with Josh Allen, too, he said, in addition to adding a ton of weight, he had that position coach that really taught him like how to actually be a pass rusher, moves to use and stuff. And he, that really elevated his game, too. And you hear about his backstory of like him playing receiver in high school and like struggling to put on weight, and then eventually like it clicked. He clicked in his past year mm, and clicked. got to the next level there. It got injected. Oh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. Easy there, easy there. Let's go to I the mean, to- uh, <laughs> I want to look at Max Crosby. you got to ask. Because you look at Max Crosby. Yeah. And he's a guy that was also very, very productive at the college level. In, in bad competition, but he was still yeah. very productive at the college level. 45 total pressures this year. He doesn't have the same pass rush grade or pass rush win rate or the same level as Josh Allen does. But, but you have to admit, he has been oh, very so good, good. Yes. for a day three pick out of Eastern Michigan. He has risen well above expectations. He was one of my guys in the draft. I yeah, called exactly. him the white Brian Burns. Because yeah, yeah. they had almost identical mm-hmm. testing. And Crosby was very productive. You know, I was commenting him recently, too. Uh, Josh Allen. Not Josh Allen. Uh, Jared Allen. They have a similar build. Similar athleticism, it's it, it's it could be there, could be there. <laughs> He's got to add I, a little I'm bit more. Gonna, I'll pump. I'm just gonna pump tires. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Jared little, Allen's aggressive because Jared Allen was awesome. Yeah, but uh, similar similar. Crosby's dope though. Yeah, I mean Crosby is a very good. Uh, now he got a lot of play from the one game where he beat up uh, career guard John Jerry at mm-hmm. left tackle playing for the Bengals there. So that I mean that obviously helped, but he flashed in a number of different games this year. He was like. 
like I said, I, I think we said this like week eight or something. Mm-hmm. You would rather have Josh or excuse me, Max Crosby right now than Cleveland Furl. Mm-hmm. Like Crosby was more athletic testing wise coming out, was you know a, as productive at Eastern Michigan, and now has been more productive in the NFL. Like and I think, upside, I think he's done a great. I think he's done a great job. I remember watching it right after they drafted him. Don't make too much of this, but John Green's like, when we draft you, you need to, one of the first things he said in the conversation. You need to put on weight. Like we need you to play the run too. Like you, you're kind of skinny. Mm-hmm. He's done a good job of adding weight while yeah. not losing a ton of athleticism. He's one of the better run defenders mm-hmm. in this rookie class as well. So Max Crosby gets some love. Not as good as Josh Allen. Josh Allen, Nick Bosa, however, still a very good rookie and well above expectation mm-hmm. for where he was drafted. Defensive interior here, Dexter Lawrence, and someone probably no one knows, Shy Tuttle of the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. He's played very well, though, for them. I, the Saints know how to draft into your off, into Dude, defensive yeah. line. They, they have been the sleep, they, they have been, you know, hitting on sleepers all the way back to Akeem Hicks mm-hmm. way back when. Uh, but yeah, Dexter Lawrence was, you know, Quite easily the best interior defender uh, from this draft class. Great against the run. And like I said, he only just turned 22. That guy has uh, a, some good years ahead of him. I think he's only scratching the surface there. But Tuttle is the interesting one. I don't. I didn't even watch him coming out last year of the draft. <laughs> Where do you I mean, go? Manitoba or something? Uh, Tennessee. Tennessee, okay. okay. I think of another guy. <laughs> Manitoba. Who else? went to Manitoba that plays for them? It's uh, it's a your guy for the New Orleans Saints. I'll take a look into it. You keep going. Okay, yeah. But he went to Tennessee. 340 snaps this year. Remember the pick he had uh, stiff arm of Matt Ryan that was probably the highlight of the season but he was still you know solid 70.3 run defense grade 68.7 pass rushing grade like while he didn't play a lot, was a sub package player. Was when he did play, it was very encouraging. So Daniel, really David Onyemata, oh yeah, Onyemata went to Manitoba. That's yeah. on me. That's on me. But again, another like, sleep, yes. round four guy that has played well for them in the past. So definitely hitting on that. Let's go to linebacker here. Interesting one. Wasn't a great off ball linebacker. I mean, it was a great off ball linebacker class. But Devin well, Bush, honestly, it, like it's more like it hasn't been a great rookie class. Like straight period. Yeah, there yeah. have been a lot of impact players outside uh, of the receiver side. position. And uh, Nick yeah. Bosa, I would say you couldn't be super excited as some of the guys that come in. Eric McCoy yeah. too, I think was a highlight. But again, linebacker. Devin White and Devin Bush both did not earn good grades this year. Devin White specifically really struggled against the Raw. And I, I had a I have a weekly he looked radio like a hit. Sophomore Devin White, yes, yes. Year, where it's just like oof. I have a weekly radio hit with a, a guy from Tampa Bay, and he always every week he's like, "Dude, Devin White looks terrible against the run. Why is he so terrible?" And it's like, man, it wasn't a strength for him at LSU. I mean, he yeah, had that, that was so- one of those things where it's just like you knew that was going to be the case. Exactly, like, you're not drafting you didn't draft him. him to shed blocks at the yeah. second level and just like come downhill. And he just like he had to he had to be going he had to be clean. Mm-hmm. One of those guys. If he's, I mean, very similar to Deion Jones. And Deion yeah. Jones didn't have that, you know, that mm-hmm. success against the run. But the guys we did have here, Bobby Okariki, the Stanford product, long arm dude, goes to Indianapolis Colts, has a very good year, which is impressive coming right after Darius Leonard. <laughs> he was, I would say, he was a guy who we tagged right at draft time where it's like, oh, that's like the perfect fit for him. Like, mm-hmm. he, he is not necessarily super instinctive, but he's very, very long. Very fast, and if you just let him have sort of like an easy look, and the the Colts defense allows you know allow their guys to play very fast uh, with the sort of zone coverages they run there. If you allow him to do that, uh, he can be a playmaker in your defense. Seventy nine point two coverage grade this year. I think that was like one of those words like that's a perfect fit for the defense, even though we're not super high on the guy. You want a perfect example of where the NFL is going? Drake Greenlaw, you know, second best rookie linebacker this year. Dude's six foot, two hundred thirty pounds. Yeah. <laughs> like you do not need to be big anymore at the linebacker position to success to have success. Actually, complete opposite. You should be, you know, less than two hundred fifty pounds. You need to yeah. be more athletic. You need to be quicker in order to have success here. And Drake Greenlaw, really impressive for the San Francisco Forty Nine ers this year, alongside another not similar uh, similar size is kind of aggressive. But Fred Warner too played really well this year. Yeah, they've been. We talked about the you know Saints and their D line scouting. The Forty Nine ers look like they know what they're doing at linebacker here with the past couple of drafts. 
I remember talking to so you know Fred Warner, six foot three, two hundred thirty six pounds, even a little bit slighter frame. Mm-hmm. It says he's taller. But I was talking to Drew Tranquil before the draft, and he was saying meeting with linebackers coaches at the combine, he would say, yeah, the, my my weight is not an issue for anybody because he was only around two forty, and he said they he said the Carolina Panthers or someone someone said cut down to like two twenty. Yeah. The linebackers had low linebackers cut down to two twenty so they could stay alive mm-hmm. in coverage. I think that's where, and, and it goes back to what we talked about on the Tuesday podcast. NFL defenses are doing everything they can to get good athletes on the football field. And that includes bringing down linebacker weight to try and get just better athletes, people yeah. that have better change of direction, better quick twitch, because that's where the NFL is going, speed and all of that. You just have to be able to match everything that an offense can do uh, in terms of uh, formationally shifts, uh, different matchups. You have to be able to match that without completely scrapping calls, without having to bring in brand new personnel every single snap. You have to be able to match basically anything the defense throws at you. So versatility, guys who have, uh, you know, can execute multiple different coverage roles are at a premium in today's NFL. Let's go to cornerback. Talk about a weird sized dude. Six foot one, two hundred six pounds. This guy looked like a linebacker at Auburn, but ran really fast That's at not the comp. Weird sized dude. <laughs> uh, six foot one, two hundred six pounds. Start. Th- third rounder, Jamel Dean of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Dude came down the stretch and played absolutely lights out. He was yeah. yeah I, he I mean, he was pretty clearly the top after week ten. No cornerback had more passes defense than Jamel Dean. Yeah. All around the ball, great down the football field. There were a handful of plays where twenty plus yards down the football mm-hmm. field. This guy is well within reach. Makes a play on the ball. I think Jamel Dean. They have something in this guy. I I agree. I, I think he's had one of the most encouraging, well, definitely the most encouraging start of uh, any of the DBs they've drafted there, Tampa Bay, in recent memory. But yeah, 10 PBUs uh, in only one half a season there of play for the Bucks. Now, his of eval coming out of college was one of the weirdest evals I still remember. And I think we've even talked about this before, about how I think... He, like he played almost like a 220. He looked like a linebacker there at Auburn playing cornerback, and they did nothing other than play him in press coverage. And so you you were basically just watching him beat up on wide receivers who were 20 pounds less than him every single play, and all he would do is hang on them because you can do that in college. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I have no clue what this is going to look like when it gets to the next level because you can't do anything he's doing. You yeah, just yeah. can't be that physical. And uh, I think it almost did him a disservice, and that's why he ends up falling to the third round because he was a freak athletically. He goes to the combine, blows it up as much as anyone else, uh, and then he goes to you know Tampa Bay and is making a handful of plays, not just from press coverage, but from off, but mm-hmm. from zone. I, I think you saw a much more well-rounded cornerback that truthfully you just couldn't tell on tape <laughs> with his tape at, at Auburn. So I do think that uh, they, if you were to, you know, redraft this rookie class right now in terms of cornerbacks, he'd be the first one off the board. Wow. Next next cornerback on the list, and I know he plays kind of a safety hybrid role, but Chauncey Garner-Johnson has played over 230 snaps at slot corner and played them well. I think he's another guy that I came came away really impressed with from the New Orleans Saints draft class. He played very well in slot coverage. I, I had a couple pass breakups, I think, against Anthony Miller when mm-hmm. they played the Bears. Like, there was a handful of times where you're looking at Chauncey Garner saying, man, this guy is special. And then, obviously, one of my favorite plays this season was the one where he comes off of, I think it was Justin Hardy against the Atlanta Falcons in prime time, and it takes that interception, the ball a little over the top. I mean, he's a very instinctual player, physical player. He made fun of Treat Cohen on that one play. Like, there's a lot of good things you could say about Chauncey. I think the Saints have to be really happy about it. Yeah, I mean, he so he played the slot, basically was his role at Florida, mm-hmm. and he goes to the Saints. Did it very well. Had a coverage grade over 90 last year. Goes to the Saints. And they throw him in the slot. You know, basically where he played didn't get too, you know, didn't get too crazy with it, and he plays very well. Only how does he flip to the fourth round? That one was wild to me because we had him as a, I think, a top fifty player on our draft board, uh, second round sort of value, high second round value was 49th actually on our draft board, high second round sort of value on him. 
all the way to the fourth. Uh, and the Saints, like I said, had one of the best rookie classes because they hit so hard on their first two picks. Didn't have a lot of draft capital, but when they did pick, it was the right one that they made. So 6.6 yards per target when targeted. That's a very good number for the slot. Rocky Sins, the last cornerback on this one. He played way more outside corner than Johnson Garner. Johnson, a ton of outside corner. Over 800, uh, over 850 defensive snaps in outside corner as a rookie is tough. I mean, started, that's being yeah, thrown to the dogs, and he only allowed two touchdowns on the year. The reason his grade is lo- a little bit lower in coverage, 62.2. He did allow a handful of big plays down the stretch. I mean, it wasn't... Like, and he had a lot 17, of penalties, Yeah, he had a lot of penalties. Run defense, though, played really well. Physical guy. I think still I think still a little bit out on him. Rocky mm-hmm. Sins, I think I want to see more consistency in coverage. Limit those Big well, I think you saw what kind of what the Colts were looking for was a sure tackling zone corner. Mm-hmm. It was a very physical sure tackling zone corner. Three missed tackles on 64 attempts all year long. That's an exceptional rate for a cornerback. That is what the Colts defense sort of values. That's why they took him so high. We were lower on him uh, than others, but they value guys with speed and guys who are physical and can tackle. That is Yassin to a T. Now we did have that game uh, in the middle of the season against the Broncos where he had five penalties uh, and had nine and then on the season, so maybe cut down on that, but that's kind of who Yassin's going to be. He mm-hmm. is just a physical guy. You saw that on his tape of college at uh, Temple, so uh, I-, I think it's an encouraging start for him, even though, yes, like you said, he gave him a handful of plays down the football field. So I'm a really big fan of Chauncey Garner-Johnson. Jamel Dean has played well, but the two safeties that made our all-rookie team are also very, very yes. fun. Juan Thornhill made one of the more impressive plays, I think, again, when he jumped <sighs> that pass out. against Derek Carr. For Juan Thornhill's yeah, name. It's, it's so unfortunate he's not playing in the postseason. Yeah, but, and I, what I found interesting, I think I, I look more into this than you do, like all of like, interviews and stuff, but like... When they interviewed all the Chiefs defenders after they kind of found out, like every single one of them being like, "Yeah, it's awful," like it was was pretty opening for me. Like, they know that dude's an impact player as a rookie, and. he was so such an interesting evaluation because played outside cornerback in Virginia. They made the switch to safety mm-hmm. and, and looked very good at both positions. And I think that versatility, I think, speaks volumes to what you could do in the NFL. He looked very good at safety this year. Juan Thornhill, a very easy pick, in and, my opinion, an absolute him. freak of nature athletically. You know, Byron Murphy, or excuse me, Byron Jones esque sort of combine that he had there, uh, and just didn't give up a lot of plays down the football field. Yeah. Only 14 catches for 127 yards in his coverage all year long. Had the three picks that were, you know, in the one pick six that was really impressive. Uh, was it then the Raiders game? Yep. that he, uh, he jumped around. Like, he just was very good right off the bat. Big reason why this defense had a massive turnaround from what we saw from the season ago, him and Tyron Matthew. Uh, I mean, I, I think Cowboys fans are just reeling after oh, yeah, passing absolutely. on him for Tristan And he Hill was mocked to the Cowboys point. a ton. Yes. Like, a lot of people thought Juan Thornhill so made sense to the Cowboys. A, yeah. Such a perfect fit. And, uh, yeah, Thornhill. I mean, Would they take like a set? Tristan Hill? Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, I hate to see that. That one's like, like I said, that was a rough one. But Thornhill with Juan Thornhill and, too, I remember that we were like watching his tape, and like he has a plus two on his college film. So plus two being you know, as good as it gets. Yeah, as good as it gets in the PFF uh, raw grading there, where he jumps like this thing in front of him, and then just turn the speed turn to go back and grab a pick. Like mm-hmm. that's when you know when you see that kind of athleticism move, but still and that change recover. of direction was just was incredible. Yeah. All right, second safety here, and this guy also battled injuries, not not to the tune of Juan Thornhill's right now, but Darnell Savage. Also very impressive. The the you know ten second split, his like crazy acceleration and burst really showed up for the Green Bay Packers. 
A little, a little bit of a missed tackle problem. Uh, he gave up the big run to Dalvin Cook early on in the season. Uh, gave up another one this past week because of a missed tackle. 14 missed tackles on uh, 68 attempts this year. Not a good rate by any means, but that's kind of what we saw at Maryland. Was He just is aggressive. He's going to come downhill, and he's going to try to lay the boom, and sometimes he's going to miss. But I think that aggressiveness is kind of what the Packers defense was missing and needed someone to sort of lay that uh, wood more often than not on the back end of that defense. And that's been Darnell Savage. I, I, I think he's... He was the number two safety on our board, I think, when all of a sudden dumb. It was him and Adderley were neck and neck, and Adderley mm-hmm. obviously was on IR this year. But, yeah, Savage has been – he's lived up to draft selection where we had him as well. All right, before we dive into the some of our reads from our sponsors here, i got some breaking news. Alex Leatherwood of Alabama is going back to Alabama. Oh! He will not be declaring for the 2020 Tackle NFL class draft. takes a hit. That's that was the guy we had in the first round. Exactly, so, yeah. Alex Leatherwood – uh, more, I mean, more for Jedrick Wilson. Almost, uh, I was to say, probably with the way the tackle class is shaking out, like he's probably going to make himself some money coming back to school. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's dive into some, some news from our sponsors here. Let's start with our, our, our friends at Western Southern. Guys, right behind us here. It doesn't matter if it's football or financial wellness. The right questions will always give you the best chance for a win. Western Southern has partnered with us at PFF to give you a chance for an up-close and personal look at the X's and O's that will lead to both financial and football success. Looking for insight on your financial future? Need an inside-the-huddle tip? Head to westernsouthern.com slash askchris to... Um, Ask hyphen Chris to ask Western Southern and PFF your most pressing questions. You could even win tickets to the big game. I also got to say this. You're not wearing your proper cloth today, but tell you me are. I don't look great. That looks, that's a good look on you. I'm right? a big fan of the Vertical stripes. stripes, slight gray action, no monogram. Wasn't feeling it for this no. one, but it's got a great fit. That's the thing with proper cloth. You go to proper cloth. And you're looking for a great fit. You're looking for great styles. And I hate shopping. I hate being anywhere near a physical shop. Being able to do all this online is a firm recommend for me. So stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking for your best with a custom-fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com slash PFF today. Enter promo code PFF20, and you get $20 off your first shirts. And these shirts start at $80. And they can get up into some pretty hefty price points. But when you get up into those hefty price points, you're talking about pure quality. You're, you're, you're literally sitting in... Egyptian cotton. Sometimes it feels like you're like, oh, I sometimes actually fall asleep at my desk. How excited I am and how comfortable I am in my proper cloth shirt. Um, all right, let's go ahead and dive into our top draft draft classes from this year. From a return on investment standpoint, I will say this. I have to, I have to pre, prelude with this. If you have the best draft class, it, you still can't. You, it, it's still there's still a chance that some of these guys don't pan out. I think it's still yeah. the sample size is still very small. Basically, yeah, this is after like a reevaluation of the class after one year, just what what you have, what mm-hmm. we think. Hell, you have. people want to grade draft classes like uh, within minute after the draft is done. Yeah, and even grading it a full year after the draft is over, there's still a small sample size. There's still reason to kind of believe that other guys can turn around, injuries, all those things. Yeah, this is by no means you know sort of an end all be all, but I do think there is. You can always evaluate. You should always be sort of evaluating mm-hmm. players and where they you know are at in their developmental curves and what we think they'll be going forward sort of project and you can tell when you know a guy like AJ Brown you can tell you got something special mm-hmm. you know when you have a guy like that or uh, some guys on the opposite end of the spectrum you can tell maybe if they're not special that's true point, so that's very true um, let's go ahead and dive into the first one Tennessee Titans I remember I wrote the draft grades piece the big draft grades mm-hmm. piece that it was like 11,000 words or wherever it is and I remember we fell in love with the Tennessee Titans draft class when they it came was out. yes it was our favorite draft class they had every single pick was higher on our draft board mm-hmm. than with their draft slot that's great which was the only team that had that and so that obviously means every single pick we're a fan of the value they got yeah. and now in retrospect Jeffrey Simmons at 19 
has been fantastic for them. Mm-hmm. 70.4 overall grade as a rookie. A.J. Brown, obviously we've talked about now. I'm 51st. He goes, if you did a redraft, he'd probably go top five right now. Nate Davis struggled as a rookie. 82nd pick in the third, ra- the frog uh, third rounder. The frog stance guy. That one we expected coming out. But then Imani Hooker. 116th overall. We didn't talk about him because it was a deep safety class, but he has been exceptional there uh, in a limited role when he comes on the field. So I love the money really... for coming out. It's such an instinctual yeah. player. I think he's got 66.3 uh, coverage grade this year, which doesn't sound great on paper, but if you you know looking at he didn't allow a pass, he didn't allow a pass yeah. over 18 yards. Yeah. Limiting those big plays is a big part of the your your ability at safety or when you're playing like a certain safety hybrid role. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something I look at. You know, it doesn't always get reflected in PFF coverage grades because you're not making plays on the ball. You're just like not letting big plays happen. I Yes. Not targeted on those things as well. So, Monty Hooker, very impressed with him. I think he gets better in year two. That Tennessee Titans draft class, though, is highlighted by the man that is A.J. Brown. An absolute monster. I think he's going to go into Foxborough this weekend, give Stefan Gilmore the business. And Ooh, do, his... we, do we think Stefan's shadows him? Absolutely. Yeah. You think you think Stefan Gilmore is going to go to Corey Bum Davis? <laughs> no chance. Corey Davis is going to get Hall of Famer Corey Davis bracketed to, with Jason Jackson or whatever it was going to be. But like, I think Stefan Gilmore is falling AJ Brown, 100%. That's must-watch TV. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna gonna rewatch that one a few times afterwards. Uh, break out the lotion because that's just gonna be good. I yeah, mean, that's just it's gonna be high-level wide receiver play versus high-level cornerback play. I mean, it, I mean, did you watch the? Did you ever go back and rewatch Devontae Parker versus Stephon Gilmore in Week 17? Yeah, like, that well, was pretty special too. I mean, Devontae Parker might be good now. I don't know. Like, we have total yards. I hope he's good. We have to. We're gonna have to dive in and see if he's actually good. But let's go to the number two here, San Francisco 49ers with that second best draft class from a return on investment standpoint. I mean, Nick Bosa was. A monster. Debo Samuel, very good. Like the two picks, those first two picks right there, enough are huge. I was going to say, yes, it was the number two overall pick, but I think you still got like a high end positive yes, ROI because exactly. of just how dominant he was. Like you got a guy who, uh, you know, legitimately is an elite edge defender in the NFL right now, six most pressures of anyone in football this year. Uh, that's. You know, you just don't get that. So you now you yeah. have five years of this guy, cost controlled, who is going to give you elite level play. Uh, you know, barring injury, knock on wood. Uh, over that span, that's a pretty damn good pick. You'd take that in a heartbeat. Number two overall, I'd take that number one overall. Like that's just that, that doesn't happen every mm-hmm. day in the top five. He proved that he was well worth the number two overall pick. Like right. there was, no, it's a no brainer at this point. It's good as AJ Brown was. Nick Bosa's going ahead He's of AJ Brown. The, the other picks here, Drake Greenlaw, we spoke to him. He made the all-rookie yeah. team as well. Justin School came in and played well. I mean, well, came in and played well for what they were going to do. Yeah, I was going to say, for the 183rd pick in the draft, he came in and was a complete liability, mm-hmm. which is, again, that's uh, that's good for a rookie yeah. offensive lineman. He was pretty athletic coming out of Vanderbilt as well. But And then Debo Samuel, obviously, at 36. Again, you do a redraft, he's probably going top 10, 15 at the moment with just how good he was at the receiver position as a rookie. And the punter, which Nasky wasn't terrible. I, I was, I was hoping I could say something. We didn't positive. have to. I was hoping I'd say something about positive. But I look at our, our punter grades. He ranks outside the top twenty. But I mean, punter, one of the more replaceable positions in the NFL. Not a huge deal here. Yeah. Let's go to the Saints. Uh, pick some great players in this one. Highlights, obviously, the two guys we spoke to earlier: yeah. Eric McCoy, Chauncey Garner Johnson, and Shai Tuttle. Shai Tuttle played yeah, well Tuttle. this year too. Did, I think that, that's. Um, I, they had a very good. But class. yeah, those were the first two picks. Were forty-eight Eric McCoy, one hundred five Chauncey Garner Johnson. Because while they've been mortgaging their draft picks for yeah. a few years. But Marcus years Davenport now. played really well this year. Yeah, the He finished with the board, second highest grade among all second-year defensive players. I, I mean, he, he took a ba- major step mm-hmm. in the second year. He did, but this is two-for-one drafts, and we're just focusing on the rookie class. I apologize <laughs> for bringing it up. I honestly do. Sometimes I want no, to get I, us to some three-for-one. Maybe I guess some four-for-one. I guess you can do the whole uh, the Bears fans thing, where, or the, who was the Paces, like our first-round pick this year is, yeah. is uh, their first-round pick. Khalil Mack again. Khalil Mack <laughs> well, again. their first-round pick again. this year is Khalil Mack yeah, again. Yeah, Khalil wow. Mack. Can't wait. Congratulations. But yeah, so that's I think he could be a different 
difference maker in year two. <laughs> we are one or whatever it is. <laughs> That's the Saints. Every year it seems like, yeah, our first round pick is the guy we drafted last year. But second round picks here, like those McCoy and Car- Chauncey Garden Johnson, you couldn't have done much better with those. Two yeah, picks. that's very good. I'm glad you put next in our notes here. 48 overall pick, 105th. That is like impressive return yes. on investment. Yeah. Number four here, they could even no, they're not going to jump the 49ers just because of Nick Bosa, but still, like to get only those two, you know, to those two first picks and then have that production is good. Number four, Kansas City Chiefs. Miko Hardman played well in bursts. He wasn't like as consistent as some of the other rookie receivers, but when he got the yeah. football, he was special. Very. I mean, Home we run. talked about we talked about I mean, Miko Hardman before the draft. I remember, you know. You know, talking to you back and forth, saying this dude's like really, really fast, really, really athletic. I think he could be a deep threat. But then you look at he's limited, catch radius maybe limited. But I think how he was used in Kansas City is probably his ceiling. Like this kind of role for Kansas City is huge. Yeah, I think he went to the absolute perfect fit mm-hmm. for him in terms of they're not asking him to win one on one on the outside. That's yeah. not what and they're he not was even asking him to run year. a ton of different routes. Yeah, like they they they, they want to get him either really close to the line of scrimmage or completely blow the doors yes. off on like a streak or a pass. Uh, yeah, streak from and a lot of that was coming from the slot in that offense. Move slot release. too. I yes. love when they move the slot yeah. receivers around and run them deep. And so he's so just good. a dynamic. vertical routes from the slot. I mean, it's just that's his money making. And, and that's his and that's the Chiefs' offense. Like he gets utilized the way you want. Why you expect to be utilizing speed? Not a lot of teams do, but that's you know the correct utilization for him. He's just home run threat. The ball in his hands, whether it's kick returner uh, or just on screens and that sort of thing. And then obviously Juan Thornhill, just monster. Played very well um, this year for sure. Kalen Saunders too, uh, three hundred three snaps, a fifty four point six overall grade. Not nothing special from him. Only three yeah. total pressures, but the first two picks they did have were good. Um, let's go to the last one here. Steelers. Devin Bush, not. Now, maybe didn't meet expectations this year. I think he's going to maybe take some time. I think we saw it. when we did. His well, I, was splits, say, I think we saw some nice flashes mm-hmm. from him to where uh, the like he ended up with a sixty five point three coverage grade, mm-hmm. solid ish. Yeah. towards the end of the year, I think you're just, you're going to see a much different player. In I remember too. when we pulled the splits too. Like when he was in man coverage, one of the better coverage linebackers yeah, in the NFL. Over 90 grade. When he played zone. He was struggling a bit. And I think just, part yeah, of that's just inexperience and trying to learn, trying to get better extinctively. Mm-hmm. Deontay Johnson, I think, I think he could have been, we, we hyped him up a ton. He, <laughs> uh, he probably didn't meet our expectations because we hyped this guy up to the next level. Well, he but he still played very good. Yeah. You, you saw the inconsistency and maybe the character concerns that we saw. You saw some of that mm-hmm. factoring in with a few fumbles, uh, some drops, just some boneheaded plays from him, but 18 broken tackles on 59 catches is yeah. pretty ridiculous for him. I think year two is going to be big for Deontay. Yeah. And, especially if Ben, big Ben comes back, yeah, and they can exactly. have a quarterback that actually like throws the football accurately, mm-hmm. like Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. I'm working already on the quarterback annual a little bit. That's going to come out in January. Two of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL this year on the same team. It was it was rare, a rare, a rare breed of quarterback Bad. play in Pittsburgh for yeah. sure. Uh, all right, let's go to the just miss list here. The Jacksonville Jaguars and the Oakland Raiders both had solid draft classes. Didn't break the top five, but both of those, you know, Josh Jacobs, Max Crosby, Hunter Renfro finished inside mm-hmm. the top 10 in PFF receiving grade among rookies. Like, he had an, a, a good year down the stretch. I think it was Oakland Raiders draft class was very good. But of your four picks in the top 40, really only one of them is, mm-hmm. you could say it was a home run. Trayvon Mullen flashed a bit man. in bits. Yeah. Obviously, the, then you have the that's injury. That's the reason why. We, but like, yeah. you still got a ton of talent from the draft class. Mm-hmm. We're not hating on it by any means, but you just, they had a ton of draft capital as well. That's yeah. why you're not going to make the True. That's a, that's a good point, though, because, I mean, when yeah. you have four picks in the top 40, you should come out of it with a yes, very exactly. good draft. If you had the top five picks in the NFL draft, you would have the best draft class. No matter, <laughs> like you're just going to. So yeah. like that that is why. They but it, when you when you you swing and miss a bit on Cleveland Farrell, who did not deliver this year, then Jonathan Abram gets, gets hurt, hurt. And that's going to hurt you on your yeah. first round. And Trayvon Mullen started played a lot more down the stretch and still. You know, some some penalties there. I I think Trayvon Mullen's still probably a couple years away before you really find out if he can be a capable starter. The the Jaguars are the one where I really felt bad about leaving them off because Josh Allen, you you hit on that. Mm -hmm. 
I think Jawan Taylor looks like a hit at this point, a tackle, a second-round pick, and they get Gardner Minshew late. Like, that was a pretty damn good draft. Quincy Williams, uh, not been great at the line. Oh, man. Uh, what about Andrew Wingard? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. UDFA. So I, that, I feel bad. It's not I, a, I guess it's, no uh, I, I, I hate to throw but, UDFAs in there, but Andrew Wingard. But Jaguars definitely deserve some mention. They had a very good draft class that they go. needed to hit on this draft class with you know just the way they've been training late. That is okay. Uh, I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger here. Of the you know the rookies this year, who do you think has like a big second year leap that maybe didn't oh, play well? You know, I, I know big it's second tough. year yeah, leap. Yeah, big second year leap. Oh, put me on the spot there with that. I hate to put you on the spot, but I, I'm really excited about next year. Quinn, Quinn Williams. Mm-hmm. He's just going to look like a different player in your yeah. team. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that he had everything it took to be, you know, a top five defensive tackle in the NFL. He has all the tools. Just for whatever reason, did not hit the ground running this and year. Connor Rogers too. When we next, talked to him, yeah. spoke to injuries. Like injuries mm-hmm. playing a role. Inexperience. The dude's still yeah. very young. I think he's only twenty, 20 years old, yeah. twenty-one years old. Like I think year two is going to look different for him. Yeah. I think he's going to bounce back for sure. That's going to do it for the two for one drafts podcast. I know we went a little three for one down the stretch, but sometimes we get exciting here. That's uh, remember you can find us live on YouTube Tuesdays and Thursdays. Most Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Until then, this is Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two for one drafts. 